We're going to take our opening reading from Luke chapter 15, if you want to be turning there. And as you're turning there, I'd like to welcome everyone that's here. We have a lot of guests today. We appreciate you being here. Some from community, some that are world travelers and back to visit, but we are glad that you're here and that you made a choice to be with us this morning. We, we hope that as we talk about some things from God's Word that will be beneficial to you, that you'll find a way that they can apply to your life and they will make you live a better life here and have a hope for life that's to come. If you'll get a Bible out, I want to read from the Bible. It won't be on the screen. These lengthy ones are hard to put on the screen and make it uh, work well. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses 11 through 32. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, is my, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might, might, might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who had devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And Jesus said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. There's a lot of things we could talk about in that parable. We're going to focus on the older brother this morning. And as we do that, I want to kind of remind you some of the things. You're not going to confuse me with Mark. This will probably be the only similarity. I don't have his deep voice, uh, not nearly as tall as him. I don't claim to be him, but 
During the meeting, there were a couple of nights that he talked about some things that I call the human condition. And we had a huge response those nights, young and old alike, because all of us can feel the human condition. We're all human. It's happened to all of us. He talked about things like worry. The other thing I'm not going to do is throw my mother under the bus like he did. My mother's not a warrior, but worry is something that we all deal with at some level or not. And as he talked about, it can be a learned behavior. Another night, he talked about fear and discouragement, how that we all deal with that at some level and how it cripples us in serving God the way that we need to. One of the other things that was on his list that he didn't talk about that I have been thinking about for probably the better part of a year is something called resentment and bitterness. And again, it's part of the human condition. We all are prone to that. We all are exposed to and have the, the ability to get bitter. And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning in the sense that if we're bitter, we can't be the servant that God wants us to be. The, the tone I always like to have is not, if you're bitter, you're bad. And the tone I want to come across this morning, if you're bitter, I want something better for you. God wants something better for you. Being bitter makes you miserable. It makes you miserable, makes the people around you miserable, and it makes you old and lonely. And that's exactly the opposite of what God wants for us. He wants to enjoy the blessings of a family. He wants us to enjoy the blessings of a church family, the blessings of being Christians. And when we let bitterness take over our lives, it robs us of all of that. So we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to focus mainly on bitterness, but we're going to talk about forgiveness and reconciliation as well. I'll also make this disclaimer. I've had some conversation with some people recently, and nothing that we talked about prompted this, or not, and I'm not talking to you particularly. Bitterness is something that I've never thought I would have a problem with, and yet I've examined myself and found out, you know what? It can happen to you because of life's events, because of things that happen. And it was good for me to study these things because no matter who you are, no matter how happy-go-lucky you are, Things happen. Life happens, and bitterness can get a hold of you. And we don't want it to. Here's a simple definition that we're going to work with on bitterness. Someone who is bitter is angry and unhappy because they can't forget bad things that have happened in the past. There's probably more scientific definitions or maybe more theologic definitions, but that's really what it means. Because of stuff that's happened in the past, I can't get over it. I'm mad. I'm unhappy and not properly treated, those feelings can get in the way and make us bitter. Some things about events in life. Sometimes time heals things. Things that are bad happen, it's really raw for a little while. We can't think about anything else besides what has happened that's bad, but over time it gets better. Sometimes... We kind of tuck it away, and when I feel like the time is right or I deserve to, to bask in it a little bit, like a pet, 
I'll pull that out and recount how bad somebody treated me or all the things that went wrong in my life. The problem with that is it's sometimes at very, very inconvenient times that that bitterness comes out. And it can affect us in ways that we didn't expect. And just like any other sin, because that's really what it is when I choose to keep harboring those feelings, we think we can kind of keep it in its nice little bucket, but we really can't. Because it will come out when we least expect it or least want it to. The other thing about life, hurts and wrongs are real. And I don't want to minimize anybody's hurts or the things that have gone wrong in your life. It happens. People say bad stuff to you. People do bad things to you. People lie to you and break your trust. People take advantage of you in business. All these things, you know, business deals go bad. Friendships get broken. Even as youngsters, people are unfaithful in business and in marriages and in life. Divorces and broken marriages happen. Sometimes parents and kids, things go way back years and years where there's resentment and bitterness that's harbored, and those are all real. Those are all real, but what I want you to know this morning is those things properly handled don't have to control your life. They don't have to make you miserable and all the people around you miserable because God wants something better and he gives us a better plan than, than living that way. Things happen in churches with church members that may go back years and years. And what I always say, you can't, I can't guarantee you what anybody might say or do on a given minute. People are people. And if you're like me, you can think back Sometimes it, you may have to think a while, sometimes you may not, of what somebody said that was completely out of the blue and completely uncalled for and completely wrong, but it was hurtful. And that might go back years and years. It may have happened last week. Those things happen, and I don't mean to minimize those. What we want to talk about this morning is where do you put those, and how do you deal with all those things that happen to all of us, because we're all humans, in a, in a godly way, so that we're not crippled by that, so that we take the things that have happened, deal with them properly, and go on to live a productive Christian life. You might ask or say, well, I'm really not bitter. Because <laughs> most people, a lot of people that are alcoholics, you know what they say? I'm not an alcoholic. I can handle it. And a lot of times, as I look back at things I've said and done, in light of what I've studied, don't always recognize when bitterness hits you. Because here's the things that you say or think when bitterness has a place to get a hold in your life. I remember, and I'm not talking about Christmas when you were six, you remember good things. You remember the bad things. Or one time, here's what so-and-so did to me. If it was me, here's what I would have done. Well, I hope they get paid back. And maybe you said this, well, they may not get paid back now, but in judgment, they'll get paid back. And all of those things might be true, might not, but here's what, I, when we dwell on those things and that becomes our attitude, it really hurts us. I'll give you a personal example. I was 27 when I went through a church split. And I remember thinking over and over again, 
The elders, they should have known better. It should have never got to that. And maybe they should have or maybe they shouldn't have, but the problem with my mind and my heart was I thought I was smarter than them. I thought I would have handled it different than them. And for several years, that's where I, I thought about that and where I put it. And that's not healthy. <laughs> it's not good for us to, to think about things in that way. Here's the other thing. I've talked to folks, and they can almost, you can tell there's such resentment. I could, they could tell you word for word a conversation that hurt their feelings. Really happened, and it may have been word for word. I wasn't there, so I don't know, but it probably was word for word. But they can still tell you basically word for word what that conversation was 20 years ago because they were so deeply, it was harbored so deeply inside of them. And so all of us fall in some spectrum of that. Maybe you don't dwell. Maybe you do. But we've all had our feelings hurt. We've all been hurt. And so all these things, somebody's got to be blamed for it. We find ourselves in that spot. That's what bitterness, the bitterness I'm talking about, that's where it starts. That's what it sounds like. That's what it looks like. And we've all seen it in our own lives. We've seen it with other people. It may be even as simple as poor me, nobody likes me. And when we dwell on that and dwell on that, pretty soon bitterness takes over our life. And here's what I'll say. There's a lot of sins that I'll say they're young people's sins. They're wild and crazy and sowing their wild oats, that type of thing. Bitterness really to me is an older person's problem because it takes years of practice to get good and bitter, right? It's hard for a 12-year-old to be bitter. Now, they may have their feelings hurt and they may be mad, but they hadn't had time to harbor it. They hadn't had time to dwell on it. They hadn't had time to run into them at the cafe or the grocery store and think about what happened five years ago. And then five years later, run into them again and think about what happened ten years ago. So it really is an older person's problem. Now, young folks, you can start developing habits, and you, know, you don't want to do that. But in many ways, I'm talking to the older people because it really is a problem. Something I thought I never would deal with, all of a sudden I've seen, hey, this thing can, can get out of hand. Job was a person that experienced bitterness. If you want to turn over to Job 7 11, these will be on the screen. Can anybody doubt that Job experienced really, really bad things? Lost all of his business, lost all of his family, lost all of his health. To a level that none of us have experienced that all together at one time. We've all had health problems. We've had business problems. With, we, and they're real. But Job was piled on and piled on and piled on and piled on. If anybody had an excuse or a reason to be bitter, Job was probably it. And here, here's an excerpt of one of his soliloquies when he was kind of feeling sorry for himself. Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? I mean, here's what he's saying. Life is hard and all I do is work. Work, work, work. And life's so hard on me. So I've been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise that the night can be ended? For I've had my fill of tossing till dawn. You know, things are so bad on me, poor me. 
Things are so bad, I can't even get a good night's sleep anymore. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. All this, I'm just getting old. I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> my eye will never see good again. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. My health is bad. Nothing ever is good is going to happen again. Do you hear the bitterness and feeling sorry for yourself? And an extreme because he lived in extreme circumstances, but they were real. They were real to him. And here's what he sounded like. And here's what he said after he kind of gave you a load of what's going on with his life and how bad things were. Therefore, you know what therefore means when you transition? Well, because of all of these things, I'm justified, and here's the logical response. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I can say what I want to. <laughs> it really happened. I can say it. I will speak in the anguish of my pain. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Complaining and being bitter. That's what Job thought he was entitled to. I'm justified. And it's dangerous. Hebrews 15, verses, or chapter 12, verses 12 through 15, says, Therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight, straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which out, with, with, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to get in our mind is rather than thinking about being lame, as it talks about in the beginning, our attitude ought to be one of healing. He didn't say the lame weren't really lame, but he said our attitude ought to be optimistic. It ought to be positive that we don't say, oh, the lame are lame and oh, poor me, but the lame can be turned to being healed. Because when we keep things in a negative sense, it doesn't let us get the grace of God. And I'm not necessarily talking about being saved or not saved, but think about what grace means. The favor of God. The joy of God. The fullness, and it talks about the peace of God. All those are things that God wants us to have. But yet, if we, here it refers, and I think bitterness here is a broader context than what we're talking about today, but when you keep something, think, think about a weed. When there's nodules in a weed, you can spray the top, and it turns it brown, and it may wither and go all the way to the ground. But what happens the next time the conditions are right? That nodule, that bulb, if you think about flowers, pops up again because there was a root that was left. And he warns us against keeping a root of bitterness, letting it stay alive in our life because it can rob us of the grace of God. 
we throw the word, the word entitlement around a lot, and we talk about people who feel like they're entitled. I've done it. You've done it. Oh, they think they're entitled to the benefits they're getting. We talk about entitlement programs, and many times in a negative way, that's welfare, that, oh, they don't deserve that, but they think they're entitled. Or this younger generation thinks that they're to have something more than what they've really earned. And what we don't think about sometimes is we fall into that same trap. It may not be about money or welfare or, or business benefits or whatever the government's doing, but somehow or another we think that we don't deserve to be treated the way that somebody treated us. And, I mean, really the fact of the matter, we don't deserve anything. Things happen. Did Job deserve all the things that he got? He really didn't. But yet, at the end of his speech, he said, I'm entitled to be negative and bitter. Because he was thinking that way. And that's, that's what we've got to be careful about. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 through 12, not a word about bitterness in here, but... It's a principle of life. And I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Sometimes things just happen that are beyond what seems logical and reasonable. For those that operate on logic and reason, when somebody doesn't follow that, it can make you upset, and it can make you bitter. And we know this. Sometimes the smartest guy isn't the one that gets rich. Sometimes the one that's the fastest. We watch horse races, we watch car races. We know they've got the fastest car, but things happen. They get a flat tire, they run out of gas, and they don't win, even though they were the fastest. Life is like that, and we know that, but yet we feel entitled that those things shouldn't happen to us sometimes. And watching out for that feeling can be a good way of avoiding bitterness I'm going to read another lengthy reading out of uh, Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 to 35 as we kind of transition to forgiveness so bitterness is that feeling of being angry or mad or unhappy because things happen to us and sometimes it's related to people doing us wrong sometimes it may not be but the relation a lot of times is because somebody's done something to us wrong and so as we transition to forgiveness Forgiveness is really the treatment for the biggest part of bitterness. Matthew 21, or sorry, Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And so you hear the sense of entitlement. I've done what I'm supposed to. When can I write him off? But Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. Huge sum of money, unpayable. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, very small 
minuscule amount, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother their trespasses. <clears throat> you know, here are some of the things I observe as we, as we read through that, and, and you can see it in life as well. <clears throat> there's things, there's people that can be blamed. You know, they owed money. Sometimes we want to take personal control and fix it ourselves. Kind of like the, the, sec, the first servant. He was going to go take care of it. He expected mercy on his side, but he was happy to go tell the person that owed him money how it was. Sometimes we're like that, right? We want people to go easy on us, assume we had the best of intention when things go wrong. Yet when things go wrong towards us, sometimes we're quick to assume it was all bad intentions. <clears throat> we see retribution he was going to pay him back, make him pay. Pride is mixed in there. That somehow my debt is not nearly as bad as your debt. Even though the amounts weren't even comparable. In our own minds, our pride sometimes puts us in spots where our huge things we discount. And people's small things... Uh, we focus on and what we see when it's all together is look at the perspective that that the parable gives to us and I don't have to spell out for you that our debt to God is immeasurable you know that's the point of the parable in, in many ways is our debt to God is a huge sum that we can't pay back there's no way that we can ever do enough to earn it, to make up for the suffering, the great price that Christ paid. It's immeasurable. But yet, like Job sometimes, like this unforgiving servant sometimes, we don't want to forgive people's wrongs to us that in comparison to what Christ did for us, the sacrifice that God made in sending His Son, it's about that big. Even if it cost us $100,000, even if it cost us hurt feelings, even if it cost us a lot of things, he's teaching us we need to forgive because the perspective that we need to have is not the here and now, not what's physical and what people can do to us and, and what they have done to us and will do to us. People are going to keep on doing it. It's in how do we treat them and how do we approach it. And obviously, he had the wrong perspective, but his master, God, 
put it in perspective for him. And guess what? He was really the one that ultimately got punished a whole lot worse than the one that had the small debt. He wants us to be forgiving. He doesn't want us to give people a free pass. He didn't want, you know, he's not saying that all the wrongs are right, but what he's saying is the way that we approach them can make a difference in our view of the world and ultimately in our salvation if we're not careful. That doesn't mean every time somebody does us wrong and we get mad (laughs) or we're upset about it that it's going to turn into bitterness and resentment. But in many cases, we let it go there. And he, he warns us against that, teaching after teaching. So here's, again, a simple definition of what I'm talking about with forgiveness. To stop blaming or being mad at someone for something they've done. Or to not try to punish them for something that they've done. And this has been said over and over lots of times. And when you're in the heat of the battle, this is easy to know but hard to to really process for yourself, I think. Forgiveness really isn't for the person that did the wrong, that the one that owes the debt. Now, might it help them? Maybe, maybe not. But in the end, being able to forgive is about my heart. Can I let something go or not go? Where I find myself in lots of, lots of times when I look back and, and just kind of examine things, the person that hurt my feelings so bad, they didn't even know they did <laughs> And maybe they did know, but guess what? Me being mad and bitter and ugly, having ugly thoughts about them, they don't even know that's happening. They're just going about life like nobody's business and don't even know that I'm all drawn up and mad and upset. And that's why I say forgiveness is really for for us, for the one that holds the grudge, for the one that got wronged. It's for me, not for them. Because what it does if I don't forgive is the root that we talked about. The harmless pet that we like to think, well, I can keep it right there and pull it out anytime I need to feel good about myself. I can talk about how bad they wronged me. Those types of thoughts. Ultimately, that, that hurts me and destroys me and separates me from God and separates me from the, the life and the positive influence I need to have on people here and people in the world. Forgiveness is for you more than it's for the person that did the wrong. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32 kind of lumps a lot of these emotions together. And we're all human. We've got them. Whether we think we've got them in control or whether we exhibit them all the time or whether it's, you know, people are different. Sometimes some people have these emotional flare-up more than other people, but we've all got them. And here's what he tries to encourage us to do. Paul says there's a way to fix this. Basically, he's saying, keep negativity, the negative things out of your life. And if they happen... Don't dwell on them. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, clamor, slander, talking bad about people, being upset. You know what they did? All those types of things be put away from you along with all malice. And I'm not going to try and delineate all the fine differences between those words, wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Think about it as negative things. When people have done you wrong, how easy it is to think about ways, even passive-aggressive ways. Some of us are really good at being passive-aggressive. And somehow we justify in our mind that, well, I'm not saying really anything bad about them, but I can sure let everybody know what I'm thinking about them. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. See the great contrast between anger and clamor and wrath and slander. 
in the contrast with being kind and tender-hearted, being forgiving. And he again puts it in that same perspective as, Christ, as God in Christ has forgiven us. You know, we're not better than the person that wronged us. Ultimately, we've done more. We owe a bigger debt than they could ever owe to us. And he tries, Paul tries to tell us that's the way we need to live. That's the way we need to think about things. Here's one of the ones that always gets to me. I don't know if it's a first child thing. A lot of times it's a first child. I want justice. I, that's just not right. <laughs> I know what the, rule are, the rules are, and somebody needs to take care of this because it's not right. And so somehow in my mind, forgiving someone a lot of times was equated with, well, that means I agree with them or I'm condoning what they did. And that's not at all what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, remember, ultimately it's great. And we're going to talk a little bit about reconciliation in a minute, making people agree again. But ultimately, forgiveness is more for me than for you. I'm not making a statement. When I forgive and choose to not be mad and angry and hold grudges, I'm not even making a statement of whether what you did was right or wrong. Could be right, could be wrong. But ultimately, forgiveness is from my side. Again, in Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and think about these positive thoughts, compassionate hearts. Compassion, feeling for other people. Putting yourself in other people's shoes. Sometimes that's hard to do. As we get older, what's funny is if you dwell on negative, bitter, all the wrongs that have happened, you get really good at that. But as we get older, it's also too easy to have experienced a lot of the hurts that other people have had. You've seen them, so it's a lot easier to have compassion as well. But when we substitute compassion for bitterness, that's having the right mind. Compassionate hearts, kindness humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And again, that same perspective, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That's the cure for bitterness. That's the right mindset to have to be apt to forgive. To be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient. You know, that's a, all the things we want to have, but sometimes we feel justified in not having them. Giving people the benefit of the doubt. If, some, if you have a complaint against somebody, forgive them. And again, as I, we've all experienced, that's easy for me to say when it's not the heat of the battle. And that's easy for us to commit to when it's not the heat of the battle. And that's easy when there's not years and years of it all leading up to the bitterness that's kind of stirred up now. But that's where you want to get to. That's where we want to get to. That's what we want to encourage each other to be like. When we provoke to love and good works... That doesn't mean, oh, yeah, I agree, they really did you wrong. Maybe it is in the short term, but ultimately, where does it get to? If I want to provoke you to love and go, yeah, they did you wrong, but what are you going to do with it? 
How are you going to take it and make something positive out of that? How are you going to take that and learn so that you're not separated from God, but you're drawn closer to God? And when we get that mindset, the one that we read about in, here in Colossians, that's where we can forgive like God wants us to forgive. We can forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Pray for yourself and them. And I added that little bit at the end with a sincere heart. We've all read, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, the hypocrite's prayer is what I call it. Luke 18, 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed with him, thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. <laughs> Sometimes our prayer for the person that's wronged us, I'll speak for myself, sounds an awful lot like that. Well, thank you, God, that I'm not like they are. And we look at this Pharisee and say, boy, what a terrible, terrible hypocrite he is. But we're so close to it, maybe we can't see it in our own lives. And so we've got to guard against that. Pray for them with a sincere heart. Pray for them that God will turn their hearts if they need turning. But in the end, that you won't be bitter. Finally, the last little bit I want to talk about here is Reconciliation. The process of making two people or groups of people friendly after they've argued seriously or fought and kept apart from each other. So things have gone wrong where people have just split and gone their own way. And over my lifetime, I've known parents and kids like that. I've known brothers and sisters like that. I've known church members like that, husbands and wives. You know, the, the examples going on, and you do as well that that's happened in the past. So how do you get past all that? It's great to say, oh yeah, I know I don't need to be bitter. <laughs> that I need to be kind-hearted and compassionate and put those, I need to forgive them and let it go. But how do I get back to reconciliation? It may mean avoiding people for a while. You know, when feelings are raw and things are terrible as life can be sometimes, sometimes it's better just not to be around them for a while because people their feelings are hurt sometimes things just get better over time naturally and you don't irritate each other so much or things have kind of patched up and mended over time I think sometimes reconciliation and I see it in, in marriages a lot sometimes reconciliation it always, it never means that things will be like they were. They might be like they were, but that doesn't mean they will be like they were. And sometimes we get this definition of if, if you know, forgiveness is not reconciliation. You may not can reconcile, but you don't have to be bitter. You can forgive and never reconcile. Ultimately, it's nice to reconcile if it can be done. Here's what is true about reconciliation. You can stop thinking, and that should be I-N-G. I really do know how to spell. I just can't type. You can stop thinking and saying negative things. That's really the first step in reconciliation is thinking negative things about whatever the, the situation is. And the outcome of thinking negative things is saying negative things, either to that person or to other people. Those are ways that you can reconcile in your own mind, whether the real, whether you're buddy-buddy again or not, 
Um, all these are steps towards reconciliation. Mark made the application back during the meeting about uh, his child that had gone astray, and we've got examples of that in our own congregation, our own families. And he made a, a, what I think is a really good point. You've always got to tell yourself about that and lots of things. Never, ever give up. Reconciliation may, be for, may, may take a lifetime. It may not happen, but don't give up. And I think what not giving up does for us, instead of being a hopeless, pessimistic, negative view on what's going on, when you don't give up, you can have a positive, optimistic, hopeful view on what's, gonna, what's going on. And a lot of times, I mean, there's a whole lot of truth to the half-full, half-empty glass. It's all in how you look at it. And God wants us to be optimistic people. He wants us to have a hope. Not doubt, not fear, not worry, not bitterness and resentment, but hope and joy and peace. That's what heaven's going to be like. And yet we want to sometimes dwell on the negative side or justify being on the negative side. And it's so ironic. We've said it with what I'll call the, the moral sins. Well, if you want to hang out with the partiers, what makes you think you want to go to heaven? That's not where the partiers are going to be. That's not what people there are going to be like. But guess what? The bitter and negative and ugly negative people, they're not going to be there either because that's not what heaven's about. Heaven's about hope and joy and peace and all the positive things that Paul's asking us to practice now. That's what he wants for us. And we can stop thinking those things no matter what. What gets in the way of reconciling sometimes? I put hereditary. Bitterness is hereditary, and it runs in families. If you're a family that you've watched bitterness happen in multiple generations, it's not literally passed down in the genes. That's why I put it in quotes. But it's such a learned behavior that it almost becomes hereditary when it's multi-generational. Be aware of that. Teach your children and give an example to your children that's not bitter, that doesn't hold grudges. That's how you break cycles. We talk about poverty and people living in welfare for three generations, and it's easy to see. Somebody's got to teach them not to be that way. It's very much the same thing on multi-generational habits and traits. Just teach our kids not to be that way. Recognize it for what it is and make definite efforts to go the other way. And pride and selfishness. Big deterrent to getting past bitterness and being able to forgive and reconcile because our pride gets in the way. We're all human. We've all experienced it and God offers a way out. As we finish this morning, this, this passage applies to a lot of things in a lot of ways. What you think about is what you'll be. What you think about is what you'll be. And why he says meditate on these things. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, it goes with a lot of the other readings that we've read. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue... If there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on good things. When we find ourselves going off the deep end on those negative things that we all, we all have, 
bring our minds back in and meditate on these things. That's what's going to make us be like God. The things that you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. There's some way the church can help you this morning. If you've been overtaken in bitterness, maybe it's not in front of the crowd. Sometimes it takes a second set of eyes to help you work through those things. It's not necessarily going to be a prayer and it's all fixed. There are people here that are willing to help you, people that don't want you to struggle with that, who want the best for you. If there's some way that we can help you, if there's someone here that has not been baptized and would like to be baptized, we'd ask either to come while we stand and sing.